Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On this edition, with Nikki's ringside seat at the San Siro, we are perfectly placed to tell you exactly what the atmosphere was like in the place to be when Milan beat Napoli in the Champions League. Also, after only a handful of games in charge, are Bayern already regretting the Thomas Tuchel affair? And Juventus, well, they never felt more like singing the Europa League's praises. Should they be singing the blues? We'll find out. Nikki, lucky you. Um, you're in Italy. You're at the San Siro last night. But what everybody wants to know is what you brought back with you. Poppleton Pink on Twitter asks, can <laughs> Nikki... Well, you've got the orders. They're taking orders, you know. Uh, can Nikki bring back a bottle of vodka, 200 Benson and Hedges, and a large Toblerone, please. The Toblerone's <laughs> for me, by the way. I, I don't think you're even allowed these days to say other cigarettes are available, are you? <laughs> so, yeah. I, do you know, you, you joke about that, but like actually, like, because I'm, I'm, right, first thing, I've never smoked, which is not a thing I've done. I, I always think it's like one of those sort of, you know, like parenting moments I feel like my mum really succeeded at. Like she had this conversation with me she, where she was like, do you know, the thing with smoking is nobody likes it to start off with. It's only once you get the habit that you like it. And also it's really expensive. 
And like as a teenager, I was like, yeah, that all makes sense. And I don't want to spend the money. So I've never smoked. Right. But a friend of mine did ask me to bring back an Italian friend in Brighton, asked me to bring back some cigars that you can't get in England. So I went and bought some cigars. But because I've never smoked, it feels so naughty, like going and buying like tobacco. It just feels like, oh, God, I shouldn't do that. Like feels like I'm breaking the rules somehow. Never mind the shopping basket, though. You at the match <laughs> last night. Uh, well, watching it on TV, it felt like it was a really good game. What was the atmosphere like for you? Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. Don, honestly, the 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 volume inside San Siro, I think, cannot possibly come across on TV. It certainly um, shocked me even at, at points. You know, I was down on the sideline doing some some of the sideline reporting last night and. It sort of goes, it's the way it accelerates. It's the way that it, it, it fluctuates almost. One moment you think, okay, this is sort of a busy atmosphere. It's loud. But then when the curva decides, right, it's go time, it suddenly becomes completely deafening. You can't hear yourself think, let alone hear um, other people talking. And when the goal went in, you know, you know, I know Andy's been to, to San Cedar before. I actually don't know if you've been to San Cedar before, Dot, and you might have done, but it's this massive, massive concrete hulk. Like it's a gigantic weighty structure that just makes you sort of feel like you're dwarfed by something it's really steep sharp edges as well in, in, in the stands it was shaking like beneath my feet i could feel the ground moving which is just something else in a place <laughs> like that it's a song I, I, I guess i guess it is i was i was gonna ask actually on a moment like this when there's been so much planning plotting about a, a, a move for the the, the milan clubs it's, on a big night like that, you think, even though there are so many flaws to it, even though it's quite aged, you don't want to change anything about the San Siro, right? Yeah, it, it, it's. It, I've already had this conversation with someone say, like, Napoli have been the 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 best club in Italy this season. They deserve everything. They've been one of the best clubs in the Champions League. I'd, I'd love to see them go all the way to the final and, and have that experience. Everything they've done this season. But knowing that San Siro won't be there forever, the prospect of a Champions League semi-final between the two Milan clubs here is is something that that, that tingles your senses because it might not be there forever, and and it's 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 a real dilemma because both clubs are very conscious that they can't produce the revenue streams of clubs they're competing with in Europe, but they can't continue to to take the steps forward that they want to take to allow themselves to be competitive long term, to continue to enjoy nights like this on the regular, but. It won't be the same if it ever goes. And I will say they've been talking about tearing it down and building something else for a very long time without making much tangible progress. But if it ever goes, we're going to be losing a piece of of football heritage. And I mean, I guess the thing to say to listeners is go while you know it is still there because it might not be there forever. Yeah, there's something to think about. And hopefully we'll have time in this conversation to talk about your return Home, as it were, <laughs> your more rural perhaps return home. But what about the match? That's what people want to hear about. Bobby on Insta mm. is saying it's two defeats to Milan and a poor win. Are Napoli too reliant on Osimen, who was missing yesterday, obviously? Yeah, I, I think this is such a fascinating question. I actually sort of put it to a couple of the Milan players last night, even sort of after um, the game. I spoke to, to Fikayo Tamori, I also spoke to Ishmael Benasser. And, and I was saying to them, it's it's not just that you've beaten this Napoli team twice in 10 days, but you, you've kept a clean sheet against them twice. It's a team that scored 66 goals that previously in the Champions League had scored against everyone except for the second game against Liverpool, which was already a dead rubber, right? Like they were already not just through the group, they'd won the group at that point. So it wasn't a game that mattered to them. 
I think besides that game, they hadn't scored fewer than two goals in any of their Champions League matches. And in some of them, they scored a good, good lot more than that. So this has been such a free scoring team. And at the beginning of this season, one of the things that I pointed to over and over again, anyone who'd listened to me, is the reason this Napoli team is different. The reason that it has gone on to effectively win the league. We know they're going to get there. The reason they're so far ahead is because they're not reliant on one player, right? Like because when Osimhen was out, Raspadori came in and scored goals. Giovanni Simeone came in and scored goals. Farad Skelia creates goals. You've got goals coming from Politano, Lozano. Everywhere in this team, there's goals that can come. Um, but suddenly, at the business end of the season, in this most important moment, they aren't scoring those goals. And I, I think you can draw a really sharp contrast between these two games against Milan because the first one in the league, when Milan came to the Stadio Maradona, Napoli were were rubbish. I was going to use a worse word than that, but I'll, I'll hold off. They were terrible and they and they, they deserved to get wallowed like that and they didn't create anything. But last night, they created heaps of chances. Kvaratz should have scored in the first minute. Um, going through the, the first sort of 30 minutes of this game, I thought they were completely on top. This uh, gambit that, that Spalletti pulled, given they only had one fit striker, Aspidori, and even he had only played, had one training session. He started with Elmas as a false nine and and it worked. Milan's defence was all over the place. There was one point in the first half where Tamori was charging up into the middle of the pitch and they just completely bypassed him. There was this huge space in, between, in behind they just didn't quite take advantage of. And and Spalletti was asked about this afterwards, so, you know, it, how much this is Osimhen. And, and even he said, look, I think we played well. I think Elmas interpreted that role really well. I think we gave him difficulties. And all of that is true. But perhaps, yes, if Osimhen had been there, one of those ends up in the net. And I think that is... Un- undoubtedly something you have to say because look he's he's not just Serie A's top scorer he's Serie A's top scorer by a, a good way he's the only player who's got into 20 goals already um, he's a, a striker who's worth more than 100 million euros at this point of course you're going to miss a player like that and of course now everyone's looking at the second leg and going well will he make it back in time I, I spoke to a lot of people Nicky in Italy before the game to uh, take a, a sort of temperature check and almost all of them thought that Milan had Napoli's number and that they would edge them. Now, I found this a bit curious because, I mean, like I said, I don't think you can take the the 4-0 as representative of where either team are because I, I was I was saying a, a, a while ago, directly after the game, I mean, I mean, we watched it opposite the Stadio Olimpico after coming out of the Roma game, actually. But it, it felt to me like Milan really needed that game because mm. they're still trying to get in the top four. And Napoli, for the first time in this season, didn't really know where to to put themselves. You know, they didn't know, um, you know, there was no massive imperative for them to go for it. They weren't led by the personality of Aussie men. They maybe didn't want to give too much away before these two Champions League um, games. And there was, there was a sense of indecision that you've never felt with Napoli at any other point this season. I thought that was kind of reflected in the game. Now, this wasn't here at all in in that game but you know we, we hear people all over the world always come out with this cliche about or oh, milan their experience in the champions league we've already established that is not the case for this set of players they might mm. have the name but they don't have the experience which to me makes it even more impressive the way that they manage games in the champions league which i think they've done really quite well this season so so why is it do you think nicky that a lot of people thought milan would do Napoli over before this is is it historical bias is it the fact that Napoli have never been this far in the competition yeah I, I don't know I, I think it's the fact that well I do know actually it's, it's the fact that 
you had that game against against Milan, but that wasn't just out of context, right? Me, uh, Napoli since the start of the year have lost to Inter, they've lost to Lazio. And then they followed up that game against Milan with a win, which Milan didn't, by the way. Milan drew at the weekend uh, against Empoli, but Napoli's win was against Lecce and they weren't good. Like They really weren't good and they, they benefited from mm. a, a terrible own goal in that game. And without that own goal, you think, would they have got the goals even against Lecce? Suddenly, like they haven't looked very strong. Whereas Milan, yes, Milan drew with Empoli, but they did it because... Well, you can't say because, but they did it while resting Leao, Diaz, Giroud. They rested their entire attack. They changed half the team. So it was easy to look at that game and go, well, I mean, that game was whatever. They, they weren't taking it very seriously. Whereas Napoli, it's it's starting to feel like a trend. And, you, you know, again, I, I spoke to um, Stanislav Lavotka after the game last night. I always feel like it's it's difficult talking to players in a losing team after a game. You know, they've got a lot of emotion going on. And I, I felt a certain amount actually, frankly, of, of guilt about it because I'm asking him, how is it you haven't scored in either of these two games? And I, I could feel his frustration answering me. I could feel his frustration. At, no, come on, don't compare that game to this game. We deserved this game. Like He really, you could see it, felt inside himself that Napoli had done everything they could to get this game right. They'd created the chances. Um, and I, I think there is this sort of weird disconnect sometimes in how we talk about games based on, on results, for sure. Um, but I, to answer the question, Milan did something in that first game. It wasn't by chance they beat them in Naples. They they changed their formation. Stefano Pioli's been really impressive with how he's kept changing his tactics. They pushed Ismail Benacer up onto Stanislav Lobotka in this advanced midfield role, almost like a number 10, but with clear duties to, to get in the Bocca's way. Um, and it was so effective. And then Napoli followed it up with that game against Lecce. Like I said, people were going, hang on. Once you take Osman out of this team, because Osman always gives you something different. Osman always gives you the outball. Osman always means you can just bypass the midfield, go over the top, and then you've got him there waiting for you. Have have Milan sort of found the key to this team without Osman, which is Lobotka. And to some extent, I think that felt true. And I think that, interestingly enough, even though Napoli lost last night, I think it doesn't feel like true to me anymore because Napoli created plenty last night. It's just about the finishing touch. The thing that really struck me, like a one nil result is is doable, mm-hmm. especially in the the Maradona, it's overturnable. But then, forget Aussie men for a minute, because presumably they they're going to get him out there in whatever state they can for the second leg. Kim being suspended and Angisa being suspended, yeah, I, I think that's huge. That, that that is huge, especially as you said with the limited influence of Lobotka, who wasn't allowed to have a good game. Yeah, and, and, I mean, look, you always have a slightly different sense inside the stadium. I'd be fascinated to watch this game back, but my feeling in the first half hour of that game was that actually this was Spalletti's counter. If he hadn't changed his formation, he hadn't done something um, radical. Obviously, he had Elmas in the false nine instead of using a striker. But there was a real shift in emphasis in this Napoli team from the previous game against um, Milan. And one of the things that I felt like they were doing was channeling the ball to Anguissa. I thought Anguissa had a brilliant start to this game. It was him who put that ball across mm. the box that, that Kvaratskhelia should score from at the beginning. And I think that's actually always been one of the strengths of this Napoli team, right? They've actually not just got options up front. They've got this sort of midfield that's creative enough all the way through that you can go through all of them. Lobotka often has been the hub, but, you know, Zielinski used to be the hub of this team, so he can do that. And Anguissa does something different. Anguissa is the guy who can carry the ball, who can dribble, who can who can work it less by being the passer, more about being the guy who'll take on his man and beat him. And I thought that was a clear shift in emphasis, again, between the previous game and this one, was that they were going through Anguissa and it was working early in this game. So not having him in the second leg 
take something big away take something away that you can't replace because Ndombele, best one in the world is is not providing you with that impetus with that quality that Anguissa did and I have to say inside the stadium when I saw that second challenge the second yellow card I thought bad challenge completely justified now I've seen the replay I think that's a scandalous red card I don't think it was at all um, a, a, a yellow card personally having said that the reaction to it Kim you've got to keep your head in that moment you've got to keep your head after your um, teammates receive that card because exactly as you said Andy the, 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 the damage that you've done now is much bigger than just losing the first leg you've cost yourself two huge players for the second game yeah, it won't have escaped uh, followers of the Premier League uh, that the the goal was uh, made by two Premier League rejectees. Um, on the one hand, Brian Diaz from Manchester City once upon a time and Ishmael Benesel, who you've already mentioned, who spent two years at Arsenal. So what we don't want over here yeah. uh, certainly makes a difference over there. Can we talk about Benassar, actually? Because um, it's a thing that I think maybe hasn't been remarked upon that much. I did notice he got picked up in Gazeta. He was fasting. It's Ramadan. So he only just got to eat um, sort of the first time since since dawn, right before the game. And I think to produce the sort of performance that he did in that context, I always think that's incredible. I, I know what I'm like if I can't eat all the way through to the evening. So I can't imagine putting in the shift that he did and, and, and running as, as, as hard as he did. Um, another player who, again, I got to speak to at the end of the game and I was asking him a bit about that role he's got playing further up and the grin that came across his lips. He was trying to play it very humble. All the Milan players trying to play it very humble. Look, we're only halfway there. We've still got to go to Naples. It's still an incredibly difficult tie. We're not, we're not sort of through this because we won one game. But when I asked him about playing in that advanced position, you could see it was like, yeah, actually, I enjoy this. I like getting forward. And, and speaking of enjoying themselves, I mean, Diaz, the, the little way he opened up the pitch for the goal it was so it good. was fantastic and and he he shows up in big games i mean I, I, actually kyle has, has, has tweeted it saying they should do everything they they can to keep him because he's still on loan from real madrid yeah, what do you reckon it, it yeah it, it's, it's crazy like you sort of forget that he's been on loan from madrid because he's been there forever it feels like now he's still only 23 years old andy i think that's one of those mm. things with diaz you sort of think he's been there a while he's been around um I, I feel like he's in a patch right now of some of the best football he's played for, for Milan and he's doing it as exactly as you said in the biggest games he scored against Tottenham he scored now against um, Napoli in the Champions League he was probably their man of the match in that 4-0 win um, in Naples he's he's really showing up in the biggest matches and I, I think it's just you know this is this is the nature of this of this Milan team I in absolute terms of quality, they're not as good as Napoli. They're just not. And and no one in Italy is. Napoli have more things they can do, more ways they can hurt you, more more difference in their game. But when Milan are good, they're just like these I don't know how to describe them, like these these little darts flying through the air so fast that you can't catch them. And it was Leao just before him who had that, that run and, and the shot wide. And when Diaz did it again and you just see the whole team go. It's it's exhilarating, especially at San Siro when you can hear the crowd lifting them up as well. I, I think he fits that team so well. I think Purely has really understood what the nature of the talents he has at his disposal and how to get the best of him. I don't think just because Diaz is doing well here that the answer is, oh, go back to Madrid, it's time to go and play somewhere else. I, th I think he's got a manager who understands how to get the best of him and, and right now that synergy is just really fun to watch. Those darts flying around remind me of the Genovese crossbow men in the... <laughs> Hundred Years' War, but uh, now that you've said that Milan, essentially you've said Milan on their day can beat Napoli, 
Uh, but twice, Napoli twice though, in ten days. It's incredible. Like this team well, was untouchable a month ago. Twice in ten days. Oh, but I was thinking about the second leg in Napoli. It's a different story, isn't it? When they take it to Napoli, will Napoli be the team that nobody else in Italy can be at the moment, or not? We'll see. You know, I, it's a, sorry to keep coming back to these post-game conversations, but I thought they were interesting. It's another conversations that I, I had briefly with Tamori is in these two games already. As a defence, Milan have had to prepare for completely different different attacks. Against the first time they went to Naples, it was Giovanni Simeone who started up front, then Raspadori came in. This time it was Elmas up front playing as a false nine. They could go to Naples and face Osserman. It could be a different team again. So each of those gives you a different set of challenges to face. And as I've already said, Napoli did pose questions that I don't actually think Milan answered that well in this tie. The one thing that perhaps we haven't mentioned yet that that makes you sort of think well bear in mind Milan just need to not lose is Mike Maignan Mike Maignan saved them at the end when Di Lorenzo had a chance to to tie the game even on 10 men for Napoli I would say 100% to answer your question there's zero chance that Milan go to Napoli and don't give up some chances Napoli are going to have some chances to score in that game so part of it could even come down to uh, Dutton whether or not Maignan can make those saves when he needs to and, and I think look they're a heck of a, a, a step up again when he's in the team. It's no coincidence that he's been there um, as they've gone through this this recent run of defensive uh, reinforcement. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All 
you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P forward slash ramble. Thomas Tinkle, once upon a time of this parish, as in the uh, English Premier League, is obviously now managing Bayern Munich. But it didn't; it hasn't started brilliantly for him, Andy. I think it's fair to say two wins out of four, is it now? But crucially, a three-nil loss to Man City in the Champions League. What impact will that have on his standing, first of all? And can he do anything on the return? Well, it was very unusual seeing Tuchel talk in the press conference room after that because. He was really chipper and he said uh, he was delighted with the team's performance and um, it wasn't a 3-0 game and all that sort of stuff. But I have to say, nuance is is, is relative uh, by and as you say, two games and it's not just the games that they've lost, it's not just the amount of games they've lost, it's the actual games that they've lost. So um, they've gone out of the DFB Pokal, the cup. Um, at home to Freiburg, a team that they'd never lost at home to before, by the way, which is a remarkable result. And then... Do you blame um, that on Tuchel, by the way? Um, I'm, I'm not sure I do, but okay. we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. Uh, and, and then they get, in, in terms of the result, flayed in, in, in Manchester, and they're, they're on the brink of going out of the Champions League, which is, is something that matters hugely to them and really affects the way that you look at their season going forward. So, on one hand... You feel he's been given a, a a bit of a hospital pass because how can you change things that quickly? On the other hand, this is Bayern. There are no excuses. So sitting there and saying we played quite well globally, the way is that, an excuse. The, 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 the way, the, it, it just doesn't mean anything, Dotton. I, I think the, the the way they defended in that game, I don't think any team can defend like Bayern did. In, in Manchester and expect to win a game at any level. They were really, really genuinely dreadful at the back. And I think when you look at that result on paper, if you hadn't seen the game, you would think, you know, a keynote Manchester City performance. And I've heard people say, you know, this is the moment where Manchester City showed they're, they're better than everyone else in the Champions League. Okay, they may very well be better than everyone else in the Champions League. I didn't take it from that game. I didn't feel that they had to turn it up to 11 to be to to... To, to beat Bayern by that distance. I thought they they were good, but no more. I, I, I didn't think they were outstanding. And interestingly, you know, I mean, Guardiola talked about it afterwards, the fact that Holland wasn't really in the game in the first half. Of course, you know, if, if he has 15 touches in a game and, you know, three of them are goals, that's, 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 that's fine. That's fine, obviously. Goal, goal, and, goal and assist. But the, the, the thing is, with, with the Tuchel appointment, so much of it is short-term thinking. So I don't think we can blame him. The best way to square it as, as a reasonable decision was to say, well, Guardiola won't like this. But of course, we're focusing everything on the fact that he lost the 2021 Champions League final to Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea. And Chelsea were excellent in that, mainly due to Tuchel. 
They also had a huge leg up in the final because Guardiola didn't pick Fernandinho. So that's 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 another way of, of, of looking at it. But I, I think a lot of the issues that Bayern had in this predate Tuchel. They probably predate Nagelsmann in terms of defence, in terms of not replacing Lewandowski, you know, in, in, in you know, they've relied on Chupa Moting for a lot of this season who they didn't start the season with. Um, and he wasn't there. And, you know, they really missed that. Nicky, Guardiola has had the better of Thomas Tuchel in their 11 meetings so far. Do you think that he can turn it around when it goes to Munich or not? Um, no, <laughs> it's three 0 down against Manchester <laughs> City. Of course, I don't think he can turn it around. I mean, look, we, we've seen some, we've seen some turnarounds, haven't we, in the Champions League? I think it's almost sort of par for the course, now, but, um, which makes me now wonder which one could it be if, if not this one. But um, it's almost become par for the course. We almost expect it that someone's going to have a high-profile reverse. We, we of course had famous ones of PSG, and then there was uh, Barcelona had it against Roma, where they got turned around, and of course. Real Madrid and Manchester, Real Madrid and uh, and Chelsea. There've been plenty of them, um, but this Manchester City team that you just can't imagine not scoring at least a couple of times, especially against that defence looking as haphazard as it did. Um, it's it's hard to see it of all of all the tight of all the matchups in this round. If you'd given any of these teams a three goal head start, I think probably this is the one which I could least see being flipped over. Um, but it's it's strange, isn't it, when you think about the reasons that um, that that perhaps Bayern wanted to move on from from Nagelsmann that he wasn't getting on with some of his players so there was this sort of sense that he was antagonising people and 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 creating greater sort of disharmony within the squad which of course not what you want from your manager it's all well and good to say well you, you take that away and it's a good thing but you're still asking Thomas Tuchel who's been there for three what three weeks and played three games already in that time so he's had week to week things to concentrate on to then come up with the master plan to beat this Man City team that's playing its best football of the season. I think with hindsight, mm. when you look at that, it's a ridiculous thing to ask of anyone. I think he should be concentrating on getting his team together, Andy, because we're hearing reports, unconfirmed, but nevertheless reports from Sky Germany, that it's not all happy uh, amongst the players, particularly in the dressing room after that match against Manchester City. Do you, do you want to be the one that goes to court over this or should I do the honours? <laughs> Please. Well, uh, Sergio Mane, we're hearing, um, had a little bit of a kerfuffle. Is that legal terminology? With um, uh, Sane, Leroy Sane, who was of Manchester City at one point or another. Yeah, that's right. And if if we go back and look at their various receptions of of the evening, um, Leroy Sane was really warmly received by the, the, the Manchester City fans. And he was... Bayern's best player on the night. We will come back to that. Mane sticking one on Sané, as reported by Sky Germany, is interesting because it goes back to the point we were talking about, um, about the problems predating uh, Tuchel. And as Nicky said, how has he had time to sort them out? Before we get to the tactics of beating Manchester City, one of the biggest problems about losing Lewandowski as we've said before, they've not missed him in pure statistical terms. They've, they've scored as many goals as ever, a bit like when, to use an Italian example, when um, Iguain walked from Napoli and they scored, what, 15, 16 more goals in Serie A the, 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 the season after. And this was after Iguain's record-breaking season. Um, what it has done, as we've said before, is messed with the hierarchy in the dressing room. Because before that, you know 
that Lewandowski is the starting striker. And now you have loads of excellent forwards who all want to be the man and they're all jostling for it. And there's this level of uncertainty. That was something very difficult for Nagel's man to deal with. And I suspect it will continue for Tuchel to deal with because he decided, in his own words, to go with pace, to go with dribblers, to go with Musiala, to go with Sané, to go with Gnabry. So Sadio Mane, who, by the way, at current rate of counting, I don't think has scored a club goal for 166 days. Wow. I understand he he's injured. I understand he's been injured for yeah. a part of that and we, we've, we've had the break or whatever. For a player of that level, it is a long time. And that sort of thing, that sort of dispute happens when you're frustrated and happens when you're all battling for space, I think. And Sané, who I, I thought was excellent, and he looked like their their best chance of of getting a goal. goal. He had almost a sort of mini duel with with Edison, which Edison obviously came out on on, on top with. I, I could understand from it, he wanted to take on the responsibility, but from his teammates' perspective, it's like, come on, the rest of us are here as well. Mm-hmm. There was a hint with Sané of that Cristiano Ronaldo in the two thousand and nine Champions League final of, I'm going to take this all on my shoulders and I'm going to sort this all out for us. And and the fact is, Bayern's biggest strength is a is a collective strength it always has been and to get back to that it seems it's, it's quite a complicated thing it's about working out what everyone's role is the best buying teams all the roles are very clearly defined i don't really think that is the case at the moment there's this level of uncertainty with leroy Sané. if you want collectivity he's one of those idiosyncratic yeah. players that goes off on his own anyway why yeah. would you sign him yeah I, th- I think i think that's a really good question actually because um if you think for the first part of his Bayern Munich career, he's criticised for not doing enough off the ball quite openly by um, by Karl-Heinz Rummenigge. I feel that he's he's implicated and he, he, he puts a shift in, but you don't feel like he's the go-to or anything like that. When, when he's great, he's one of the best players in the world. I genuinely think that. He's so good when he's, when, when he's on it. But that, that, that sense of confusion I think reigns a little bit throughout the team so really their power base should be Kimmich and Goretzka is is not always and I don't think Kimmich played well at all in Manchester by the way obviously a lot of heat's been on Upamecano but I think there's a huge collective defensive failure a part of that is the def- the Bayern defenders pass the ball to Jan Zoma, who's a very capable goalkeeper, as if he's Manuel Neuer. And no one is Manuel Neuer on the ball. There were so many passes where, you know, he's getting he's getting banged at him from eight yards away. If I'm a goalkeeper, I don't want that, especially not away at Manchester City. <laughs> but because they've been playing for Man- with Manuel Neuer for however many years, they think, oh, it'll be fine. We'll just give it to the goalkeeper here and it'll be, it'll be fine. And it invites a lot of unnecessary pressure. That's because I think it's such an interesting dynamic with with Haaland. I, I I feel like it was almost like, um, it's almost like the, the 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 kid brother who's like I don't know gone off to university and come back and he's suddenly like twice as strong as the older brother was used to bully him. I just I felt like in his in his bones he was feeling the joy of being back here, where of course he'd been plenty of times before and had his share of frustrations with with never quite being able to overhaul this Bayern Munich team and suddenly be like, oh, what's it like now? The shoes on the other foot. Um, but to bring it back to, to, to Bayern, I I guess I sort of just wonder if this team still hasn't sort of reprocessed 
like just I, what its identity is after Lewandowski. I think you're just sort of touching on this, Andy, in terms of the you know a team built on runners, but but still not having sort of clarity about what that looks like. I I think as long as there was Lewandowski, you had a team that was built around Lewandowski, and mm, exactly. clearly sort of Nagelsmann is is you know he's a manager who has his his dogmas, he's a manager who has very clear ideas about what he wants. Is a manager who you think will impose an identity on a team, and for whatever reason that hasn't worked. His, his methodology didn't didn't sit with the players, didn't didn't work for them. Um, I think it's as I said before, asking too much of Tuchel to to impose that in three weeks and before playing probably the best team in the world right now. But is that still what's what's needed? Is just someone with, and I don't think it even necessarily always has to be a manager, right? Sometimes that identity comes from a player. I think sometimes you have a player who's just a sort of all-encompassing figure, whether it's at Lewandowski, at Bayern or Ronaldo, wherever he went. It obliges you to fit your identity around that. But I think this this team just feels like it hasn't got that at the moment. Yeah, and I, I think when you look at that scrutiny, I mean, I mean, it can't fall on Tuchel, not, not this early. The fact is, the people who made the decision, or Oliver Kahn, and to an extent, Hassan Salahamzic, the sporting director, who, even though he's on a second contract now, is never really fully convinced. These guys are not Hernes and Rummenigge. You know, Bayern's stability has always been further upstairs. And as we've said before, when uh, Nagelsmann went and Tuchel came in, um, there's a lot of scrutiny on, on them here. They have to get this right. And they're really learning to run one of the biggest clubs in the world. They're still learning which is, is very, very difficult. Now, I wonder what it looks like at the end of the season. If, say, Dortmund were to overtake them and win the league, which, by the way, I don't think is totally off the table. Dortmund, at least on paper, have the easier run in. I, th I think it's something worth keeping an eye on. How does, how does the club and Khan and Salahamazic resist the pressure if they end up winning absolutely nothing? this season maybe we won't find out but maybe we will it'll be interesting to see whether they get the stick for that because arguably when Nicky talks about uh, the identity of the club you've got to look at the recruitment policy obviously the recruitment underlines the identity of the club at least what the club are aiming for that seems to have gone all right and then of course um, if at the end of the season Dortmund overtake them is Tuchel, where does Tuchel fit into whatever happens after that? Is this the end of the Tuchel affair with Bayern Munich or not? I feel it would have to go horrendously badly for him to, to get binned by the, the end of the season. I, I, I mean, I, I don't see how he can make any judgments. Nicky? Yeah, you know, Bayern exists in the same world that, that everyone else does in European football now where you're trying to work all this out knowing that you can't spend like the teams that you're playing in these competitions are. Of course, there was that moment in this game, wasn't there, with the um, Bayern fans producing their banners about, you know, the, the sort of contortion of both modern football and, and the City fans responded with their, their chants in support of, of Sheikh Mansour and... That is still the reality for Bayern, just as it is for everyone else. I think we forget it sometimes with Bayern because in the context of their own country, they're so dominant and they are the sort of overwhelming juggernaut that everyone else has to contend with. But you are looking at that. And, and I think what we're saying is not that the recruitment policy has been bad. They've still done an exceptional job of, of bringing in young, dynamic, attacking talent. 
but I, I, I think at the end of this season, there has to be a very clear decision. What's going to be important is not whether or not you stick with Tuchel. I think actually, for me, Andy, what's going to be important is how you stick with him if you're going to do it. Either you make a clear and decisive decision to go with someone else, or you need to really affirm this decision, regardless of how this season ends, say, no, we're doing this for the long haul and we want to build a team that is what Thomas Tuchel wants, not just a team that is, here are these nice young attacking players and we'll leave the manager to work out what to do with them. Thankfully, Andy was at the match. And if you want to listen to him discussing the match with our own Miguel Delaney, then do make sure you go to At The Match from City versus Bayern with Andy and Miguel, which will be in your ears on Saturday. But if you want to hear it right now, you can head over to the Football Ramble Patreon. And Nikki, we should we should tell everybody listening that you are at Milan Airport as we speak. And I hope you've got some of that yes. Toblerone because that young person who is circling around you that we can hear in the background <laughs> uh, may need <laughs> may need pacifying. I was pacifying. wondering how loud that was for you guys. It's quite loud. Here. <laughs> well, no, no, not quite it's as loud brilliant. as San Siro. <laughs> no, ne- ne- never pacify excited children with chocolate. Come on, that's terrible <laughs> yeah, advice. That's very good. Uh, that's the kind of dad Listen, I was. <laughs> before uh, going to the the Milan game, I was with family. Um, we had a family Easter where my dad's uh, from in his hometown. Um, of Tudorazio, which is a tiny town in uh, in Romagna. And uh, I have my two nieces with me for the week, which is a joy. I don't get to spend enough time with them, but definitely Easter Sunday, which started with chocolate, at, I think 6.30 a.m., which they weren't allowed until I was awake. So, of course, I was given a, a rude awakening at 6.30 a.m. so they could have their <laughs> chocolate. Um, was uh, was definitely a, a day of some uh, emotional highs and lows, I should say. <laughs> well, we will be asking you for a food recommendation at the end of this. Don't worry about that. You've been home. You need to tell us what we can eat. But Juventus, um, well, the old lady of Italian football, they're in the Europa League, and it seems to be becoming more and more important for them if they want to find a route into the Champions League this season how much do they need to win it i I think it's it's a really fascinating there's so much fascinating fascinating about the dynamic with juventus of course they've had this 15 points penalty which we're still waiting to hear from the italian olympic committee whether or not that could be overturned in the meantime they have this whole second process that's going on which relates to the other thing that came out of the um turin prosecutor's investigations about the deferred wages and whether or not players um actually deferred the wages that they communicated to the uh, stock market they were going to, to give up. And in fact, just yesterday, we had um, the Italian Football Federation sporting prosecutor saying, um, effectively, like, you know, there's a charge to answer here. And now there's going to be a chance for Juventus to respond to that. Juventus, of course, deny wrongdoing. They've continued to do that all the way through. They did it again yesterday. But that thread is very much alive, is what we learned yesterday from the Italian Football Federation sporting prosecutor. Um, so there's so much uncertainty, so much unknown about how all of that plays out. The reality is that right now in Serie A, if Juventus were to have that points penalty they've currently got overturned, they'd be second in the table. They're playing I would, you know, some of the most consistent football in Serie A right now. I was about to say better than anyone other than Napoli. I don't know if I can say that because Lazio are playing very well as well um, domestically. Um, and they have a chance to, to qualify potentially for the Champions League by winning 
uh, the Europa League. They could genuinely, even if that points penalty holds, still finish in the top four this season. That's how bizarre the top four race has been. The two Milan clubs, despite their European success, have been dismal recently uh, domestically, all except for that one 4-0 win for Milan over Napoli. So there are lots of doors, I don't know if I'd say open, but, but at least a jar for Juventus this season. And one of them is go win the Europa League and, and force your way back into the Champions League that way. I, I mean, this... This double tie with sporting is 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 big. Firstly, I think well you'll you'll know mm. from Arsenal experiences, sporting were really good against them. I thought in both games in the last round, and yeah. I, I underlined that you know they're not a pushover. They're not pushover. Exactly the words I was going to use at all. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think the other thing that's interesting to me in the chronology of this, Nikki, is the fact that Juventus are coming into this um, off the back of losing that game against Lazio. Now, they've lost two very costly games in Rome in this calendar year. They lost 1-0 at Roma and they were beaten 2-1 at Lazio at the, at the, at the weekend. Um, I mean, surely this brings things into focus. I, I think it does. I think it does sort of put the focus back even more on this game and, and on like, this is, this is the most clear route to get back into the Champions League. Although, of course, I mean, this is the, the big question, right? With all these ongoing processes playing out, could you even qualify for the Champions League, win this competition and still have UEFA turn around and say, actually, you're not allowed in? I think that's a possibility. But Juventus have very much adopted that approach under Allegri of, well, we think it's going to be a return. We think we've done nothing wrong and therefore we're going to just keep playing out our chances. And it would be an extraordinary thing for them to do in this season to go on and, and to win the Europa League. You know, in terms of absolute quality, I've just said on the one hand, take away that points penalty, they would be second in Serie A. Um, they're not playing sort of sparkling football that, that makes you jump out of your seat. Then they, they rarely have under Max Allegri. But there's just sort of that core through the team of experienced players who are delivering. It's Adrian Rabio above all. Rabio has been sensational this season after so nearly going to Manchester United and then not at the last second. Uh, Danilo's having a really strong season. Obviously, Angel Di Maria has been a difference maker in, in key games. These are all players who have won enough in their career that you think they could um, certainly do it. Why not against Sporting? But I can't say I look at this team and think, oh, they're overwhelmingly brilliant. That's just not the reality of this meal, of this event aside. But I, I wanted to ask you on that, actually, uh, about Allegri, because I think it's funny, with, you know, you particularly and people who cover Serie A all the time and to a, <clears throat> to a lesser extent, uh, Serie A enjoyers like me will say that, you know, Serie A is not like people have always said it was. It's, it's not a defensive league anymore. If you look at um, Mancini and the, the way they won Euro 2020, that was a reflection of how Serie A is now. And he, Mancini lent into that really brilliantly. And, you know, and Napoli did the same thing. Ex they're, exactly. They're an example exa of that. Exactly, they do. And yet, at the same time, when I see Juventus, and I know you, Nicky, and um, a lot of other people I know, who follow Italian football closely and report on it all the time, um, rate Juventus as a team to, as you say, get results. Allegri and Jose Mourinho, they're, they're these sort of twin totems in the, you know, that old George Bernard Shaw quote about, um, you know, uh, uh, unreasonable, is um, the reasonable men fit in with the world, whereas unreasonable men change the world to fit in with them therefore the world is changed by unreasonable men I, I always feel that about Allegri and Mourinho who are like, they've been told for ages your football does not fly anymore 
You cannot play that football. You need to be more positive. You need to be more front foot. And actually, Juventus and Roma both look consistent, <laughs> successful at the moment, playing what is something that's quite anachronistic in the in in terms of modern Italian football. Can I say, can I say something else on that, Andy? Because I think it's interesting with this Juventus side that they're, they're kind of that there's that one sense in which you can look at them and say they're quite backwards looking, and I agree with you. And yet also, like this is maybe the team this season that's making the most determined effort, certainly amongst the biggest clubs, to blood young Italian players. I yeah. mean, you've seen Nicola Fagioli play heaps of games really well for this team. You've seen Miretti playing in midfield for them. You've seen Gatti at the back. They are really sort of actually at a time when Roberto Mancini is talking about the lack of, of, of options available um, to the um, to the national team is they're, they're really making that that effort and it's it's sort of striking that, that Allegri in amongst his sort of old school stubbornness is, is opening up his team to, to at least that um, side of things as well I I, I think they, they are very much um, embodying as well you know to talk about the points penalty and, and to talk about um, what this competition means they're very much embodying that classically also Mourinho thing to do with we've now got a chip on our shoulder. We're going to do this because we've got a point to prove, because we want to tell everyone where to go. When they try and knock us down, we'll come back even stronger. And I think that narrative, perhaps in some ways, is only even strengthened by the loss to Lazio at the weekend, because, of course, there was some controversy over the first goal and whether or not Milinkovic-Savic pushed off Danilo. Sorry, Alexandro. Personally, I think that was Sandro making an absolute meal of it. But I think Juventus are going to lean into that all the way to the end of this campaign. What's changed, though, for Juve uh, since the beginning of the season when uh, Allegri wasn't getting things right? What has been the impetus for the success that they're having currently? There's, there's some players playing really well within this team. I think Bremer has actually been a really solid um, introduction at centre-back. And, of course, it's it's a time of change at centre-back. Leonardo Bonucci is, is kind of done. Uh, Delict went. It's been a time of, of bringing in, as I said, Federico Gatti, who's, who's had some ups and downs, as you expect a young player would coming into a team like that. But Bremer's been solid at the back. Um, I think Fagioli and Miretti have both been um, at times really impressive in the way they've come on. But what changed? I, I think, honestly, they just sort of remembered how to grind. They remembered how to do exactly what Allegri wants them to do, which is to win a corto muso. The most obvious thing is that the young players are playing more. The more the young play, the more the season's gone on, the more the young players have played. Um, and perhaps that's been the, the, the one underestimated element is that if you're going to play for, we can work harder than you, we can be disciplined and we can just sneak that goal. What you need is a, a platform of, of players who are just going to graft really, really hard. And sometimes young players will do that for you more than tired older players who've been to a World Cup in the middle of the season. I don't know if this will jinx it for Juventus, but the only George Bernard Shaw quote that I could come back to Andy with was, uh, the rain in Spain falls mainly <laughs> on the plane. By Jove, I think he's got it. Finally, I know you're at the airport, Nikki, but I must ask you uh, for a game of the week to recommend for us. And as importantly, if you don't mind, a very homely Italian food match to go with it. So I, I, I don't know if I'm picking this game uh, just because it feels like home for where I've just been, um, but I'm going to go with Bologna-Milan. Uh, obviously, Milan... They've beaten Napoli twice in the last 10 days. Leave that aside and they've taken two points from four games. 
So they do actually need to start winning some games here if they want to get back into the Champions League next season. So it's a big game for them. Um, Bologna and Thiago Motta have, have started getting on a bit of a roll. Um, they've, they've started going places. So that is a team that um, is potentially fighting, certainly at least for the Europa Conference League place, uh, but potentially even could, could yet muscle in for the Europa League spots. Maybe that's over-optimistic given how many games are left, but I think that'll be a fun game. Plus it gives you an excuse to eat the best food in the world, Don, which is the food from the city of Bologna. Just help yourself to a nice big plate of tagliatelle al ragù, also known in England, often as bolognese. Oh my goodness, you're going to have to follow that, Andy. Well, the thing is, this always happens, <laughs> by the way. This always happens with Nikki. But the thing is, as soon as she said Bologna <laughs> at the beginning, I was like, yeah, Tiago Motta's doing a great job. I don't really want to hear about the game anymore. I was just, thinking just, of the, just, I was thinking of the, the medieval food. city. You're talking about football, <laughs> Bologna famous historic city the two towers which has an incredible um ice cream place right next to it you've got a full f you've got I'm you've got a food again i'm you've thinking got, of you've university got a full, yeah, yeah whatever university whatever. Whatever. No, no one's no one's listening no one's listening i can't believe you're trying to take us away from the food no but seriously like honestly like people people who don't go to italy just go to bologna for an eating holiday if you're going for an eating holiday to italy bologna like that it's small you can walk it all you can get your aperitivo Food. Food is the right reason to think about Bologna, Dutton, and I, I'm from close to there. Well, my dad is. <laughs> I am going to go for my game of the week. Saturday night, uh, Paris Saint-Germain versus Lens at the Parc de France at 8pm. And it's a, it's a huge game um, for a, a, a number of reasons. Firstly, because uh, these, these are the top two teams in the league. Secondly, because there's a lot of pressure on Christophe Galtier. This, this week uh, because there are these allegations of racism dating back to his time uh, at Nice involving uh, how he managed the Ramadan period uh, last year when he was there. Um, now, th th this is interesting, the timing of this, because um, these accusations were originally made by um, Julien Fournier, uh, the former director of football at Nice. Him and Gautier got on terribly, by the way. Now, this has been out there for a while, because um, Fournier had, had, had said before uh, on radio, um, if I said the real reason that me and Christophe Gautier had fallen out, uh, he, he would never walk into another dressing room again. And um, we knew broadly what the what the natures of, of, of these allegations were. But I think the, the interesting thing is that, that it's come out again now when Christophe Gautier is, is, is fighting for his job. Now... Um, uh, whether that would enable PSG to remove him um, without compensation, I've, I think is 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 one question. But I, I think it's a, a, a bit more nuanced than that because um, PSG definitely asked about the nature of these allegations when they were negotiating to to, to take him away from Nice, and it seemed they were broadly satisfied with the explanation. But as far as I'm aware, Nice never conducted any formal investigation into this. Which I I, th I think is a, a huge problem, and they've they've really really dropped the ball here. So let's hope everyone gets to the bottom of it. In in the meantime, on the pitch is a huge game for them because um, if Lance were to go there and win, and Lance are in unbelievable form this season, by the way, what what an incredible season they've had. They would go to only three points behind PSG. Bear in mind, PSG have lost their last two home games 
as well to Ren, who aren't in particularly good nick at the moment, and Leon, who are Leon. So um, <coughs> uh, it, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how it shakes out. It'd be interesting to see the reception that Christophe Gautier um, gets from the ultras, who says if the uh, the collective of Parisian ultras has said if these allegations against Christophe Gautier are proven, you know this this guy can't be anywhere near our club in in, the, in their official statement. Um, so um, I'm very much looking forward to the match. It'll be interesting on a number of uh, different reasons. Um, if you go for a drink in the very nice brasserie opposite the Parc de Prance, you won't have any money left for food. <laughs> so it, 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 it might just be that you end up having a hot dog in the stand. Personally, I'd, I'd go for a, a nice bavette somewhere and a little bit further away from the ground. And uh, a little low somewhere else. You, yeah, perhaps. You're, you're perhaps. low with you. The Football Ramble is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.